0: Hey, welcome to uh, Current Yield, the Grant's Interest Rate Observer podcast. With me today, as always, uh, Eric Whitehead of the Controls, Phil Grant, who runs our Almost Daily Grants, and the great Evan Lorenz, the deputy editor of Grants. And also joining us today is John Haskell, who is in the uh, in the throes, the very fires of the emerging markets liquidation. John is the director of research at Explorador Capital, which invests in uh, Latin America. So uh, he's going to tell us how things look at... Uh, that were ground zero. I must tell you, because it's a commercial enterprise, uh, about our sponsors. We are sponsored, in part, uh, by SaneBox, which is uh, going to help you uh, take care of that most annoying feature of everyday life in 2018, that is email. And uh, furthermore, we are sponsored, in part, by uh, Purple, which uh, makes the kind of mattress that will allow even you, John Haskell, to sleep at night engaged as you are in the emerging market liquidation. And uh, finally, furthermore, and not so fast and notwithstanding, we are sponsored by Grant's Interest Rate Observer, which is having a conference on October 9th, in case you guys heard about this, right? Yes, yeah, this is our 35th anniversary conference. Everyone has to attend. That's the rule of podcast listeners. So, um, know. John Haskell, welcome to you. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Uh, we thought of you today, John, we, is, we are talking to you in the midst of a flaming crisis in emerging markets. And if you didn't know it, John, perhaps you've heard of this. If you didn't know it, everything's going down, including the currencies. Business value has been subsumed through macroeconomic considerations, and it is a pointless exercise to uh, analyze securities. That is the composite message of Mr. Market. And we are calling you John Haskell, because uh, you have a little different view of the world. And I've I've known you, John, if I may fill in a little personal background information, from uh, as long ago as your distinguished career at the Harvard Business School. And uh, and you went out into the world and uh, done a lot of interesting things. And now here you are, at Explorador. Tell us, John, how you see uh, the values that are in your line of vision.
1: That's right. Well, I have to say in the short term, in the last few weeks, it has felt indeed like focusing on fundamentals of securities has been a fruitless exercise because the downdraft that we've experienced in markets like Argentina have been ultimately a top-down driven macro macro story or macro consideration. And it does seem that those uh, who focus on fundamentals have all but been over by the trading and stop losses of of global macro EM traders. I would say though, over the long run, this is uh, an incredible financial opportunity. And the only way to uh, understand that with confidence today, amid all the volatility, is to focus on those fundamentals. So I spend my time mostly looking at individual companies.
0: John, could you give us, uh, just by way of introduction, if you would single out a specific company, uh, say in Argentina, something that has absolutely been pummeled and uh, Uh, In a few well-chosen words, tell us uh, what has happened to the company and what has happened to the stock. Those are two separate and distinct things. And uh, what the opportunity might be.
1: Sure. Take Loma Negra. L-O-M-A, on the New York Stock Exchange. It IPO, it's a great example for Argentina's uh, euphoria, followed by crash over the last 12 months. It IPO'd in November of 2017 on the New York Stock Exchange at $19 a share. It peaked at $25 a share. And it's now down to seventy five. It's lost sixty-nine percent of its value. Now, Loma Negra is a cement company. In fact, they have 45% market share of all of Argentina's cement industry. Uh, cement is a commodity product, but one that has a lot of pent-up demand in a country like Argentina, which has suffered from a lack of investment for uh, quite a long time. Loma Negra is, you know, by far the market leader in this in this industry and I don't think cement is a great business necessarily, but cement can be a great investment when valuations trade at a very uh you know interesting uh, level how How is this value, John? So uh, on EV to EBITDA, for example, Loma Negra is now 4.8 times. But maybe the better metric is enterprise value per ton of cement capacity, because this gets to the replacement cost. Uh, you know, there will be the need for more cement in the future, and one could just build a new cement plant. But what does that usually cost? I mean, estimates vary, but let's just say no less than $250. Per, per ton of capacity. And in areas with strong NIMBY, not in my backyard, where it's difficult to build a cement plant because of community considerations, it can be as high as $350 per ton of capacity. Now, Loma Negra today, enterprise value per existing ton of capacity is $118. So you're buying a stock at a substantial discount to the substantial effort and investment it would take to build uh, to replace what Loma Negra already provides.
0: You know, John, one, one important consideration during a crisis, I suppose, is, is the staying power of a business that is in the, is in the whirlpool. So, um, what does the balance sheet look like?
1: So, Loma Negra has less than one turn. In fact, 0.4 times net debt to EBITDA. It's practically unlevered. And that comes from a legacy in Argentina of companies that have had traditionally very low access to credit. So, companies in Argentina like Loma Negra will survive in times of turmoil just because existing cash flows, which are you know high single digits into low double digits, more than service their debt. Uh, and you know, the other element here is in a time of turmoil, The appeal of competitors to enter the market through imports is lower as well when currencies are depreciated and local purchasing power is low, U.S. dollar-denominated importers simply don't have the economics or the incentive to compete against Loma Negra. So their ability to stay, even if times are tough, is high. That limits the downside of an investment in Loma Negra. And the kind of upside you would see is, frankly, just a reasonable re-rating of its multiple combined with the very visible capacity expansion that's already in the pipeline. They'll, they'll essentially grow their cement capacity by 30 percent by 2020, uh, and that will be meeting some very basic uh, cement demand growth in, in the Argentine market uh, with factories that they'll already – or plants that they already um, that they already have that they're expanding just through brownfield.
2: Uh, uh, John, but in, in terms of expansion to meet a pent-up demand, that's one thing. But the other is that the pesos crashed this year. Short-term interest rates are well into the double digits. And Argentina just now applied for an IMF program. What What's the outlook for, I guess, fundamental demand? And like, how do you think about an investment that is kind of under the aegis of um, the IMF at this point? What, what is the catalyst that's going to actually cause this to re-rate and, and for the market to realize the value that's inherent in here? Well,
1: first, a quick note on Argentina, its vulnerabilities looking backward are clear. It's twin deficits, fiscal and current account. When you look forward, though, frankly, with IMF incentives, but also with the existing Macri administration's desires to reform the Argentine economy, this is a country that will now be budget neutral on a primary budget balance neutral next year and run a surplus in the following year so a lot will change there when it comes to very high inflation you know high high interest rates are going to essentially conquer that in its volcker moment disinflation will eventually allow for very high real rates will allow for those rates to come down so the stabilization of the currency will be achieved essentially from Orthodox monetary policy decisions that have worked elsewhere though painful in the moment. Yeah. And then when hey, you John, think about man. the underlying Argentine you know, opportunity, this is a population that's well-educated, that has hey, John, competitive... We, have to, that we currently-
0: have to interrupt this um, this narrative because we have uh, an urgent need to uh, sponsor this program. And I'm going to say a few words about sleep. Now, John, are you sleeping pretty well these days, I suppose? are You, you know, you could,
1: I, I try yeah. my best.
0: Well, you could sleep even better if you had a purple mattress. And of course, if you turn If you turned off your phone at night, that would help, too. Uh, You you don't want to see these quotes. But uh, the watchword here is better sleep, better you, as I think you might appreciate. So the Purple mattress probably will feel different than anything you've ever experienced before because it uses this brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. It's not like the memory foam that uh, one is used to. Uh, The Purple material feels unique. because, Well, the copy says here very unique, but we know that unique does not take a modifier. The material feels unique because it's both firm and soft simultaneously. So it keeps everything supported, well feeling really comfortable plus it's breathable so it sleeps cool ends up giving you this kind of like zero gravity thing going on so you're going to love purple and uh, right now uh, you can get a a free purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress that's in addition to the uh, great free gifts they're offering uh, state-wide so just go to purple.com and use the promo code grant at checkout that's purple.com code grant the only way to get this free pillow is to use my code grant at checkout purple.com code grant so that problem is solved John Now, I would like you to tell us, you've been around not so very long, but long enough to have seen a cycle or two or three in emerging markets. They do come quick and fast. How does this liquidation, I guess it's very nearly a panic, how does this compare with prior cycles of difficulty and how do the opportunities on offer compare with other things you have seen in your value-seeking days?
1: I would say that some of the prices we see in the market are on par with past cycles, but the underlying fundamentals are, frankly, much better off than in past cycles, With the Argentina example, the peso in Argentina uh, surpassed 40 per dollar very recently, and in real terms, adjusting for inflation, that's a level comparable to 2003 first quarter when Argentina defaulted, when the banking system collapsed, unemployment was 20% plus, and when the administration very much oriented in a a different and and much less fiscally responsible manner. So um, I would say today, you know, the peso is cheap in real terms. and uh, is implying that Argentina is facing as as deep a crisis as it did in 2003, and that's simply not the case on the ground now. Tell,
0: tell us, John, if you would please, about uh, other opportunities you see, perhaps in Mexico or elsewhere in South and Latin America. What uh, you know very quickly, if you would, just do the highlights, valuation and business highlights of some of these things.
1: I'm in Mexico right now. A company that we own is called Vesta, V-E-S-T-A. Its ticker is V-E-S-T-A apostrophe, and it's only listed on the Meccan Stock Exchange. It's a 800 190 market cap company they are essentially an industrial property developer they have 27 going to 30 million square feet of gla now these are warehouses light manufacturing facilities for multinational corporations that invest in uh, mexico as a manufacturing platform uh, their customers are large multinational like nestle nissan Bombardier. Lear Corporation. Uh, What's interesting on Vesta is that they currently, at this price, have a valuation that is a cap rate, an enterprise value. On net operating income, an implied cap rate of 7.5% right now, of factoring no growth, and that compares to what 4.5, 4.7 for for comparable industrial assets in the United States. And yet, this south of the border discount is is quite unjustified. Their customers are the same. Their lease terms are you know quite strong, 86% dollar denominated. Their average duration is 5.6 years. These are usually 10-year leases, committed you know and uh, 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 and recourse to the multinational high credit rating uh, uh, underlying customer. This company pays a 5.5% dividend yield. It's practically competing with fixed income. Um, And yet, uh, in addition to that uh, present cash flow and and discounted valuation, they are in the process of continually continually developing new uh, built stack or or built-to-suit properties. And they develop at an 11.5% or 12% IRR uh so there's a there's a spread and a value creation that they capture they're also trading currently about 30% below the appraised value of their existing portfolio. So the discount of the existing portfolio, if that eventually closes, is additional upside.
0: You know, John, um, about 10 years ago, uh, this is early 2008, the emerging markets were doing rather well, America rather poorly. And Evan recalls, and we have in front of us the copy of The Economist of uh, March 8, 2008, we have this story that's uh, headed the uh, decoupling debate. And uh, the thesis was that uh, decoupling Meaning, of course, that uh, the so-called emerging markets go one way, and the developing developed markets go another. The idea that that uh, the EMs could thrive and prosper in the absence of anything like American growth. And the story wound up. Uh, you know, so bits of American business are rising above their own economy. With luck, the world economy can rise above America's. So I want to ask, uh, I want to ask Evan Lorenz first, and then John Haskell second, uh, about what appears to be an opposite state of affairs. So uh, today, uh, the emerging markets, uh, John Haskell, as you might have heard, are struggling. Uh, America could not be rosier and more cheerful. And um, so is this. Kind of recoupling? Of, uh, is this other kind of decoupling? Is
2: this? Yeah, it's, it's decoupling in reverse. Uh, America's doing great and the rest of the world's not. Uh, in fact, Bloomberg had a story uh, the other day saying that U.S. stocks are beating EM stocks by the most since 1996, which was the start of the um, the Asian financial crisis. Um, the funny thing is, first of all, the U.S. is still linked to the rest of the world and U.S. stocks are especially so. Uh, in 2017, 43% of the revenue that um, the companies within the SP 500 generated actually came from um, not the 50 states, but the rest of the world. So so um, if problems persist, it seems like the, the U.S. should experience it. Or if things are going well, uh, it, it should also uh, be reflected.
0: Anyone around this table have trouble with emails, uh, just overwhelmed by it? Yeah, I see a show of hands. Now, I think it was George Will who said that, uh, that emailing is just like knitting socks, except... Evan, you listening to this? Yeah. yeah. Except at the end, you don't have any socks. What you got a damn email. Uh, Sanebox is here to help you. It, uh, it's got some, well, it's, it's, a, it's a system, is Sanebox, and it, it uh, helps you to sort your email. And here's, here's one thing: it's got this, here's a sweet feature: a one-click unsubscribe, which sends annoying emails into the aptly named black yes, hole. Yes. An automatic tracking of messages that haven't received replies so that you can see uh, who needs a little slapping around the head just to answer your emails, right? So see how SaneBox can help you reclaim your time and attention with a two-week free trial. That's uh, visit sanebox.com slash uh, grant, I think, right? Is that, you know? Yes. Yeah. Um, today, start your free trial and get a $25 credit. That's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com. That's uh, slash grant. Sanebox.com slash grant. Okay, John, As I know that you're not principally in the business of macroeconomic or strategic stargazing, but riddle us this one. So, um, America is at new highs, and uh, lots of countries in which you operate are, if not at new lows, and knocking on the door thereof. And uh, what would happen to your stocks if the American equities market stepped in front of a proverbial bus?
1: Yeah, I think it would be negative, especially companies that are closely tied to the American economy. Those the Mexican economy is correlated to the United States of America with more beta. So if America turns a negative corner, I think we would see Mexico also go down. The difficulty is that you can buy businesses that store their value in real terms and ward off competition because of barriers to entry, you know, available at currencies, denominated in currencies that are fundamentally inexpensive in real terms. You can buy those businesses today and many of those businesses are not necessarily that closely tied to the prospects and fate of America. You have companies that are serving local you know domestic oriented demand drivers and those companies can do well in the long run regardless of the macro cycle but you know I would say it's not just vulnerability but it's at what's already in the price and Latin what's American- cheaper John the currencies
0: or the shares? The currency or the what? The currencies or the stocks themselves. What's cheaper?
1: Um, well, the stock that are denominated in local currency get both. I mean, you can buy, for example, in U.S. dollars, a company called Arco for the McDonald's master franchiser for Latin America. And you're basically buying the largest franchiser in the world for McDonald's. You're buying 2,000 plus 191 McDonald's restaurant in 20 countries. And on an enterprise value per restaurant basis, you're paying less than $800,000 per restaurant. And, you know, that's attractive because these are restaurants that are, first of all, facing... What's the
0: comparable figure in America? 800000 for this company. What you know, would I it have be... to look it
1: up. It's not quite apples to apples because McDonald's Corporation in America benefit from the franchisee, uh, you know, business model in other parts of the region. What you're really buying here are, first of all, just under 500 restaurant locations where you own the land. Uh, and the remaining 1,500, you own the leasehold and all the building and equipment. But owning the land, for example, just under 500 restaurants... In cities that have grown up around the McDonald's, uh, you know, often in choice property locations, you're getting in total just from, from the land of buying Narcos Dorados, you're getting in acre terms, um, 255 acres. That's a the third of Central Park. So you're buying parcels that add up to a third of Central Park in Latin America's major urban centers. Um, and you're buying the operator of the strongest restaurant brand. And you're buying this on present earnings, but seems reasonable, not necessarily Extremely expensive nor cheap. Seven times EBITDA if they, they earn 250 million in EBITDA this year. But you have to remember that you're buying this in locally denominated currency sales. They are literally the Big Mac index. So pull up the Big Mac index on the Economist website and see the undervaluation of Latin American currencies. And you're buying that business stream at currently seven times EBITDA. I'll call it 21 times earnings, which is in line with global large restaurant franchisees. But this is very depressed. And there's resilience. To the brand, and there's resilience to the location. So $800,000 a store, that's cheap. And that's a combination of the currency as well as the local equity market valuation.
0: Hey, John, thank you. That, that was a a, a great tour of um, a crisis-racked region, but it's, uh, it sounds as if the uh, crisis were the other side of the coin of opportunity. I'm, I'm, I'm going to coin a phrase there, but I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to claim that, actually. I'm going to claim it from uh, whoever said it first about a thousand years ago. But uh, and great talking with you, and I wish you all the fruits of the realization of this value at these crisis levels. And secondly, in context of our advertiser, I wish you a good night's sleep. But so thank you, John, for being with us.
1: Thank you, Grant. Thank you, Jim.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, lest I forget, we we, we have been eager to receive your questions. We want to know what you want to hear and uh, what you'd like us to talk about and what kind of guests you might like us to recruit. So if you would send your request to uh, podcast at grantspub.com, podcast at grantspub.com, uh, we will take a look and uh, see what we can do. We want to, uh, you know, want to uh, make you happy. So... Do it, and uh, ladies and gentlemen, I would be remiss if um, I didn't toss in as a sponsor, um, us. We have a conference come, you guys heard about this? Yeah, yeah, it's
2: coming up. It's been mentioned
0: once or twice. Yeah, Yeah. it's uh, it's October 9th, and uh, it's our 35th anniversary. In fact, grants was created before the advent of uh, of podcasts, indeed, I think it was uh, about the same time that radio came in. It was a yeah, it was a long time ago. And this is going to be one fabulous conference. Do you guys know that, uh, for example, Stan Druckenmiller is going to be there in person? Sounds like a yeah. And Bill Ackman and Jim Bianco, uh, Eddie Chancellor is going to uh, talk about John Law, one of the great uh, monetary thinkers of yesteryear, who actually is a, is related through uh, a long string of intellectual connections to a Ben S. Bernanke PhD. And uh, Tony is going to be there, and uh, Craig Moffat, and uh, Logan Wright, and uh, Jace DeSena trenert I don't know, it's going to be, uh, and I, I, I neglected, but I shouldn't have Francine McKenna, who is going to talk to us about the corruption and accounting leading to the opportunity of people who actually pay attention to financial documents to figure out what's going on. An all-star cast. Yes. I would say, uh, yes, I would say that. It's an understatement. All-star cast. And um, you guys are planning on attending, no? Uh, what day is that again? This is October 9th. Oh, at, good, At the good. Plaza Hotel in New York. And it is uh, not to be missed. So I hope to see you, Evan, you, Phil, and Eric. You come, come too. And um, ladies and gentlemen, there's uh, there are still good seats available right in the first baseline, I think. Dugout. Dugout seats, yeah. Available. So do come. See you then. And thank you for listening to Current Yield.